0: I cast the spell of acceptance. I love you.
1: You know, I'm the sunshine wizard, right? Like, I'm this dude who goes on the internet and tells everybody every day that I love you. And I'm from this town, Coleman. And the first thing that people think of when they think of that town is all of this hate and all of this ignorance. And we have to change that. It is time for the sun to rise on the sundown.
2: All righty. Welcome in, kids. Oh, it's a a good show. This is a good show we got for you today. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon and...
3: David Person.
2: We are, as they would say, jam-packed. Yep. Uh, with folks uh you you will have very to listen to us very little um because we have oh we, we've got a, we've got a package in just a couple minutes we're going to have uh, some guys who are organizing the coleman uh comes out rally yeah right yep. okay uh that's uh justin floyd and uh Gilly shine who honestly if you're putting together uh a gay pride rally and the organizer is not named Gilly shine, then you're doing something wrong. I think that's such Um, a cool name. It is a cool name. It is a very cool name. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, then after that, uh, we will have attorney Leroy Maxwell on, um, and then after that, we will have Kyle Whitmer on to talk about one of the oddest news stories in in state history. I would say, mm. in which the uh, chairman of the Republican Party is, is basically created himself a fake ID so he could vote because he's, uh, you know, has religious beliefs that, according to his brother, they believe that government ID is essentially a mark of the beast. So. Mm. Um yeah, all of that. All of that. So <laughs> yeah, man, but um it's been uh it's been an interesting week uh so far. Uh it has been some weirdness. Uh the Supreme Court heard uh oral arguments in the case of Alabama's uh redistricting. Yeah. That was you know, we talked about that last week. I had the attorneys on from ACLU and had one of the plaintiffs and it was it went about like you would expect. Uh, Mm -hmm. where the state really has no legal standing and they know that they can't prove what they're trying to do, but they have uh, conservatives on the court uh, that are willing to help them out. And at one point, Samuel Alito, during the oral arguments, basically took control of the arguments and narrowly tailored uh, the argument for the state of Alabama down to something that might be more palatable to the judges, uh, mm. and and told them that's what he was doing. Uh, you know, he said he listened to the state's arguments and found that they were uh, very very broad, uh, very uh, went far afield, and, uh, <laughs> and and encompassed a lot of ground. Was basically saying this is some shit you're never going to get past. Okay, yeah. there's no yeah. way that we're doing this, uh, but. Let me help you out. And then presented a more narrowly tailored argument that that he said might be more successful for him.
3: Nothing uh, like a, nothing like a no look pass from uh, one of the uh one of the associate justices. No but, look.
2: Shit he was staring at him, staring <laughs> him down the whole court. Well,
3: uh-huh. I mean it was a, Ugh. well yeah, I guess you're right. It wasn't a Ugh. no look pass. It was a it was a solid it was a solid Here's where you need to go, pass.
2: Yeah, yeah. He basically pointed to the spot on the low block where he wanted him to stand and then threw it to him. Yeah. Go I mean, there. Was, go yeah. there,
3: stand there, do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he called right. out the play himself. He called out the triangle. That's, that's uh, a better know. way. Yeah. <laughs> called out the triangle. Protects winner. That's a better way, to, better way to describe it. But I, I like the fact that Katanji Jackson, uh, Associate Justice Katanji Jackson, asserted herself uh, during. Yes. That whole uh uh that whole case presentation uh challenging uh some of the uh underlying concepts about race and history that yeah. pertain to voting, and I think yeah. that's a good that was a good uh let's call that if that was a if a threw through uh basically did a uh a, a LeBron James kind of here go down on the low block and I'm gonna pass <laughs> you the ball. I think mm-hmm. what she did uh, on defense was uh, was a nice, solid hand check. That's yeah, yeah, she no, yeah. She, uh, I, you know, I, I would say that it may be a little more than that uh, because it
2: was so so well put together, so forceful of an argument, so supported by precedent and historical documents uh, that to. To the, and it says, let me just encapsulate real quickly what her, her status was or what, what, what her statements were. And that was that this idea that simply because the state of Alabama claims it never had any intent to discriminate against black voters in the state that. That was legal. That's the state's position, essentially, is that mm-hmm. we didn't have we didn't have any intent to do this. These were these were viable maps. You know, these were things that that a, that a normal person could have come up with. Uh, this is these are the maps that we drew You know, trying to hit all the parameters and things. And we hit most of them. And so these were viable maps and the intent wasn't to be racist. Her point was simply intent is not the entirety of the law, mm-hmm. uh, that the racial outcomes, the racial discriminatory outcomes that. Uh, were present in Alabama's maps are enough to force action within the courts, uh, at, including at the highest level. And I, to me, that basically then puts the other justices under a spotlight of saying, if you're going to do this, then... Here's what you're up against historically. Here's what you're up against precedent-wise. Now, obviously, this court has proven time and again that they do not give a shit about precedent right. or history right. or, or or people's rights or anything else. And be so,
3: removed. Yeah.
2: right, a, and they may very well be, but at least it's on the record. Well, uh, and and, 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 I also,
3: know. and I also think she pointed out very effectively that to try to divorce race from the conversation and to try to act as though. These laws should be crafted without consideration to race is ridiculous because yes. race has always been a consideration. Absolutely, uh, yeah. in, in every in every single major legal aspect, perhaps uh, you know at least as it relates to societal governance in this country. And then yep. on top of that, uh, some of the reasons why the founders countered with these amendments was because of race. Yes. So you can't all of a sudden say, "Oh, well, we want to do this without, you know, consideration of race," when race has always been the context, the subtext, and every other text. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, and especially
2: especially in this state, uh, yeah. where yeah. where so much of uh, your allegiance, voting wise, is defined by your race. I mean, whether we like it or not, the the you know the the Democratic Party in this state is a predominantly a a black party at this point you know the the black people make up a large percentage of that and so they're ease, more easily identified by that and so i think that when you're when you're talking about race in that context it we have made it very easy in the state of Alabama because so many white people for whatever reason whatever reason mm-hmm. uh have fled the the democratic party and so now you, you, you can basically divide it up and conquer based upon on racial gerrymandering. And that's what they're doing. And that's just it's simply wrong. And let me just for me personally, my ultimate outcome, uh, the, my dream situation out of all this is that at some point we end up with an unbiased group of people who draw these lines. Uh, somebody who is not a Democrat, not a Republican, who draw them up, and it pisses off everybody involved. It pisses off the Democrats. It pisses off the Republicans, and everybody. But they are fair maps that that rely upon you know certain benchmarks to be fair maps. And and I I, if we could do that, get to professors and to computer programs and algorithms, and just let them draw these maps up and stop this nonsense. I I would be thrilled, and I would accept whatever outcomes come from that.
3: So, yeah, compromise. Everybody has to, has to feel the pain. Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's, let's get our guys in uh, from, uh, uh, from Coleman, Coleman comes out. Yeah. Coleman comes out and, uh, and, and get them in here and we can, uh, we'll, we'll move forward with, uh, with talking to those guys. And that is Gilly, Gilly. shine. Yeah. Greatest name in, in organizing ever. Um, yeah. and, uh, and Justin Floyd. Guys,
0: welcome in. Hey, thank you for having us, man. We appreciate it. Good,
3: good, to, it. good to have you guys with us. Gilly, uh, Josh and I were wondering, is that Gilly Shine? Is that your real name?
1: It is my name. <laughs> as far as the reality of it, I think it's very real. So, yeah. <laughs>
3: okay, okay. So that's not, as as we say in the black community, that ain't your government name, but that's your <laughs> name.
0: Yes, sir. Okay. It is not yeah.
2: my government name. <laughs> that ain't what his mama called him. Right. That ain't what his mama called him. <laughs> uh, well, so, we, guys, yeah. uh,
0: how, how's the organizing going? Fantastic. Man, it's, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> uh, really? Just, it keeps, uh, it keeps progressing, just like I think any kind of good event does. But ultimately, it's going great.
3: <laughs> cool. Oh, I, yeah.
0: I read.
2: I've read. Obviously, I think everybody, you know, news the new towns, anyways, in yeah, been the, all on the all state it. have uh, have read the stories about you know what kind of. I know there's been some controversy. There was a professor uh, there that wanted wanted some other participants uh, to come out and and to kind of stop the parade. And uh, has I, I can only assume that that has helped in some way uh, with, with that attention. Uh, as bad as it was from her, that that had to draw a little bit of attention and maybe galvanize some people. Right.
1: I mean. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, but haters pay my bills. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we had, Uh, we had shared the event on my page and on Hasselin one's page and we had some folks interested in it, but really a turning point was when it was kind of shared by some other news sources um, without speaking to us. And it just kind of blew up from there. Um, So, Unfortunate that that's why it's gotten all the attention. But I mean, if it had to happen either
0: way, you know, okay. <laughs> so I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like Star Trek and whatnot. But, uh, what's the Ferengi rule of Acquisition 34? War is good for business. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody will get that, but Trekkies, they'll, they'll know. <laughs> mm, yeah.
3: All right. Uh, so, yeah. so, oh, I'm sorry, Josh. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, um I got to ask you a couple of, questions that I think uh, may, may smack of the obvious, but then maybe not. I don't know. It depends on people's reference points. Uh, so first of all, let's start with this. Coming, Coleman comes out. That almost seems to suggest that, um, that being part of the LGBTQ community in Coleman uh, may not be as easy, uh, as uh, as open, perhaps, an experience as it might be in a larger city like Birmingham or Huntsville or Mobile. Is is that a correct assumption? A thousand percent. Why is the that? Emphatic, why, yes. why is it difficult to be openly L- LGBTQ <clears throat> at home? <clears throat> I mean... <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Justin.
0: Uh, I guess uh, just for a really quick, good example, and I don't know the dates of this, this is before I actually moved to Coleman, but uh, am am I allowed to cuss on this? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, go ahead, sure. There was a sign posted up in Coleman for years, I believe decades, please do your own research. Like I said, don't quote me on dates, but it said, do not let the sun shine on your black ass. Right. That's how much of a sundown town Coleman's history has been right so if they're willing to go that far with the black community it's it's almost self-explanatory with the lgbtq community they're not supportive
3: at all so have there been actual incidents of open discrimination or harassment or violence
0: i can't bring any to mind at the moment but I'm pretty sure if you ask around a few people, they they're, they're going to give you a couple of stories.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been called a faggot a couple hundred times. Mm. Mm. Several times this week, actually. Wow.
0: Yeah, they, uh, the Confederate flag is a very, very popular flag here in Coleman. Mm-hmm. What, were you?
2: Were y'all surprised by the? by the backlash a little bit by this? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there is, was was there a a parade previous, a rally previously, or an attempt at a rally previously?
1: There have been queer events in Coleman. Um, They haven't made like as much news. There hasn't been as much attention about them. Like I've furiously Googled to try to like find evidence of them and like speaking to people in our community, like, I've met some folks who did organize those events and I have spoken to them. Um, As far as like the backlash (laughs) uh, day one, uh, my co-organizer, Matthew Sanford and I, you know, we're talking about this and I was like, okay, buddy, listen, this is exactly what's going (laughs) to happen. And I told him that. And I was like, so if you're going to do this, you know, you got to live by the sword. You got to die by the sword. Like Mm. we got to, Um. So I didn't necessarily plan on like the level of hate and backlash that we received, but I definitely knew it would happen. Mm-hmm. When you say that the the level of it, can you give me some examples
2: of, of kind of what you're talking about?
1: Well, I mean, we've had, you know, the teacher that you guys spoke about um, is asking for a particular social club uh, to, um, and ruin our day. You know, I've been called a child molester, a rapist. Um, People have created hate groups specifically to dox me and to tell people of the evils of what we're doing. We've had church groups um, rally their followers with the cry of we must declare war on these people. This is life or death and one that actually stood out to me the man said now i'm not telling you to go up there and like bust somebody's head which is a crazy thing to say in the first place right mm-hmm. like, who um, would who was suggesting that
0: right right
1: um, i don't want to talk about the man uh, cuz i don't want to give him any attention honestly it's not worth our attention and it was so funny actually we had a local church that was going to have a prayer event at the same venue as our event one week before. And it had been announced in one of the local newspapers about a week or so before it happened. And then suddenly, when everything happened with uh, the teacher at Wallace, you know, her being held accountable for her actions, everybody started to play a lot nicer. Suddenly it was an unrelated prayer meeting that absolutely had nothing to do with what we were doing. 100, <laughs> It just happened to be at the same uh, uh, event venue. And it's so funny. There's a picture in the paper and they have just like the little headline or whatever is we're going to saturate the place in prayer, um, <laughs> which I love. I think the people of Coleman, uh, if you pray, you should pray every day for the people of Coleman because life is hard and we need it.
3: <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, Gilly, and, and also Justin. Uh and Justin, you're the one who actually brought this up. You you brought up the uh the specter of the old uh sundown town. Uh and Coleman certainly was one of those. And for people who are not clear on what that is, it's exactly what uh Justin said. Uh signs would be put up or or other indicators that black people and this was, you know, during the Jim Crow era and even after Jim Crow, even into the 70s and 80s, I think, in mm-hmm. some places. Early 80s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were basically told, you you were not welcome in this town after sunset. You know, the sun goes down, you better be out of here. So I, 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 I'm compelled to ask you this as an African-American, as a black person. Um, what is it like? And I know neither one of you are black. You're both Caucasian. But. Do you find that, are, do you see black people or do you know black people in Coleman or in that general vicinity who are also part of the LGBTQ community and is is life as challenging for them as it is for those of you who are white, who at least can, you know, you get a free pass on, on first glance because of your skin color, your hair texture, et cetera? Uh,
1: I do uh, know black people (laughs) Um, growing up. I didn't really see a lot of black people in Coleman. And that is not really the case anymore. Um, We have a much more diverse community than we used to. Um, I would think that being black and queer um, would make it doubly difficult for that person, because then, you know, these folks who are so filled with hate and ignorance like They already have one thing that they're going to hate that person for, and then they're going to compound that with an additional thing. Um,
3: But do you know that to be the case is what I'm asking. I mean, do you know, are there, are you, are the two of you aware of any black people in Coleman or maybe uh, Hispanic, uh, you know, Latinx people or, or people of other uh, racial groups who uh, are, are, are gay or, or LGBTQ in Coleman? Yes. I actually
1: spoke with a black man this morning. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about like his identity because he does not want to be broadcast. But we had a conversation about his experience growing up in Coleman and then growing up in the church and then coming to terms with his sexuality. And he did express to me like safety concerns with this event. And that's why I went to his house this morning to speak with him about it um additionally matthew sanford our co-organizer he is biracial um i believe he's a mexican-american and he is also bisexual and so what he said in an interview was that it was like the double whammy in
0: coleman (laughs) (laughs) i know um i'm sorry go ahead you're good oh um i'll say um david back to, to your question like like Gilly said, we do have a black, Latino, LGBTQ community in Coleman. They're here. Um, an interesting perspective uh, is that I'm straight. I am a straight white male. So as someone who's lived in Coleman for about five years now, I can say they they don't hang out around the same places that white people do. Usually when I see a black person I don't usually see them again. And I take that into account of when you look at me, I look like a straight white male. And that I understand that that projects a certain, um, a certain type of fear into the community and that. And, am I making sense with this? No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, I guess on that perspective is that there is a community here, but they're not very. They don't feel very safe coming out. And I don't want to speak on, the, on behalf of them either. I don't want to be that white guy. But from my perspective, they don't show themselves around where white people are. And white people are everywhere in Coleman.
1: We would like to change that. Um,
0: exactly.
1: Because I definitely, you know, I've lived here most of my life. And Coleman is definitely moving in a better direction in terms of like, the populace and diversity and all of these very important things. Anyway, I just, I see a Coleman that is for everyone, you know, it's for black people, white people, brown people, gay people, everybody. Um, There's this idea that it's not, and it really hurts because this is my home. This is their home. And I think we can all just get along and love each other. I don't think it should be that difficult.
0: And location wise, we're literally in between Birmingham and Huntsville whose uh, gay community is very flourishing. And it, like Yilly said, there's no reason why Coleman should be like this. It is a beautiful town. It's very clean. Uh, we have a lot of anemones, but, you know, once you get past the fast food, that's about it. Yeah. What What, what has...
2: What has the city been like with this uh you know city officials and and stuff and you know have have they you know have they expressed at least uh, the idea that they're going to come out and, and provide the appropriate amount of security for this? Yes,
1: um the city toe-to-tip has been very kind, very professional. We've had like zero pushback from any officials. Um We do have the chief of police speaking at our event. He is going to address the police presence at this event. Um, we have taken safety precautions. So everyone involved with like the city government of Coleman, um, has been amazing. They have more or less maintained like this position of neutrality, which I honestly think is okay. Like they. We got all of our stuff in the way that it should have been. We had no pushback. They were very receptive to any questions that we had. Everyone has been very kind to us. We actually went to a city council meeting on September 12th, and it was probably like 12 or 13 of us, and we were ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was ready for a fight. And it was so cool. The people who went up before us are hosting the Witches' Ride, and so they were like, "We're good witches!" Ha ha ha! And I was so excited to like, "They've got witches! We've got wizards! Come on, y'all!" Yeah. And it was it was like a dream, honestly. Like they talked to those people, and then they're like, "Okay, we have the October eighth event." And then before like that person could just finish their breath, everybody was like, "Yes, we're good!" And then <laughs> that was it. There mm-hmm. was no questions No, nothing like everybody has been super supportive um and i think that's great um because coleman should be supportive of everybody who lives here you know and they have yeah well good for
2: them that's that's good that's uh that's very good to hear you you don't get that a lot and so that's it's very nice to hear for uh, that they're that way all right Give us uh, give us the details, uh, for folks, because this is we'll, we'll drop this uh, podcast on uh, Friday morning. And so that'll be plenty of time for folks to plan out if they want to come to your event. Uh, and so uh, tell folks where they need to go, what they need to do, what time it starts, who all is going to be there, uh, you know, how to you know, where they can go to donate money to our podcast and that sort of thing. So go ahead. <laughs>
3: uh,
1: so Coleman comes out October 8, 6 to 10 p.m. at Depot Park. We are going to have live music from Dakota Wright, Hassel and One, and a DJ set from DJ Tony, Alabama, which I'm very (laughs) excited about. I have heard that there will be a wizard ceremony there. Um, It is shrouded in mystery on purpose because it's funny. (laughs) Um, We've got balloon animals, uh, face painting. We're going to have a mermaid (laughs) there. We the the event sponsors that we have and the people who are there that are present. Someone interviewed me about it and was like, you know, none of these things make sense together. They're all very <laughs> different. But the thing that like connects everybody who's there is that we're from Coleman, you know, and mm-hmm. we're tag tag group of survivors <laughs> who are out here just trying to bring the community together.
3: So again, that's October the eighth. Just to be clear, that's mm-hmm. this. Saturday, Saturday, yeah, and Saturday. um, and and I just wanted to ask one final question, guys. Why, why now? What makes this the perfect time to do a major event like this?
0: I don't know that. Oh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, that's, um, I was gonna say I think it really comes from uh, both Gilly and our Hassle and ones, both of our continued effort outside uh, beforehand. We were just regular people but gilly has made huge huge uh progress in tiktok It's pretty much become a star as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. <laughs> and Haslam one we've been we've been really pushing for about 5 years now and you know like 5 years ago we wouldn't be able to do this we're just four random guys but we've um, tried to build more of a community as gilly has and those two communities i think at some point they merged and that was a I really think that had a lot to do with the behind the scenes, like behind even our scenes of it. Mm-hmm. But I uh, yeah, to, to answer the question of why now, it's probably because of that.
1: I don't think that there's like a perfect time to do anything. I think that the best time to do something is right now. Um, it's never too late to start shining. It's never too late to start being active in your community and bringing people together. Um, we, and one and I met a few months ago, instantly fell in love with each other, best friends forever, (laughs) and I had tried to host a Pride event earlier in June, that didn't work out, and they wanted to host a queer prom, and together our dreams met in twain, um, and I've been very fortunate to have, like, a large online platform. Uh, So I've been meeting just all kinds of amazing people every day and just seeing the things that they do in their community. And, you know, growing up here, everybody, the second they graduate from high school, they're like, okay, bye, I got to go. And I don't want that. You know, like we have all these amazing people getting up and leaving because it's not safe to be here. They can't be themselves. And so all of that creativity and diversity and ingenuity and magic goes to other places. Um, So when I travel to these like big cities and I see everybody like together in harmony, just being themselves and having a blast, most of the time I'm like, oh, I want to move there. But the last time that I saw it, I was like, oh, I want Coleman to be this place. You know, I want everybody to be able to be themselves and be who they are and do fun things. you know, we have to have things here other than drinking and fighting and hanging out in the Walmart parking lot, you know,
0: like yeah. there's gotta be something to do in Coleman. There's been so many references about the Walmart parking lot because there's literally all there is to do. It's
1: the wow. rallying cry oh of war youth. Like there's literally nothing to do and You know, when I was a kid, when Matthew and Justin, we were all kids, you know, like, wasn't a whole lot to do, but get into trouble. And I think it's better to, like, have these spaces for people to do these things and be themselves, because that's fun. And, I don't know, it's cool to have big parties with all your friends. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no, I listen
2: yeah look guys I, I I hope y'all have a ton of success uh, I really really do uh, and I hope this this changes things uh, for uh, for Coleman going forward because I think you're right it's yeah. a nice little town um, it's uh, you know it's got a reputation and and things like this help you kind of get past that uh, uh, the the checkered past that you have um, and so and and no matter what happens you've met, you're going to end up making life a little bit better for some kids that you know that are that are younger and that are coming along and some folks that are just trying to live their lives and, um, and, and be safe and be happy. And, uh, and for everybody who is against that, you know, maybe shut up. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. I
1: did want to say say one more thing real quick. Sure. If I could just get up on my little soapbox real quick. Um, you know, I'm the sunshine wizard, right? Like I'm this dude who goes on the internet and tells everybody every day that I love you. And I'm from this town, Coleman. And the first thing that people think of when they think of that town is all of this hate and all of this ignorance. And we have to change that. It is time for the sun to rise on the sun downtown.
0: Oh, beautiful. I like
1: that.
2: Hey, you should print up T-shirts with that on there. And sell them. Mm-hmm. Buddy,
1: it's yeah. in the works. <laughs> yeah, i you go about it. <laughs> there <you> go. Listen, <laughs> and just
2: send whatever whatever you feel like I should get for that idea. Just send it right to me. Whatever. I mean it's fine. I got you. I've never had business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right.
1: that, that All
2: right. is a uh, Gilly Shine, Justin Floyd, uh, and and y'all go out. Coleman comes out uh, this this Saturday and uh, if you can make it by, uh I, I think they would certainly welcome you, obviously. Uh, And I I know they would appreciate it as well. All right, we're going to slide out of here. It's uh, Alabama Politics This Week. We'll be back in just a minute.
3: I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week. And we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to. Thanks a lot.
2: All righty. Welcome back. Uh, Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy to have with us now uh, attorney uh, Leroy Maxwell, uh, uh, who represents uh, a number of of incarcerated folks and people who have filed uh, civil rights complaints against uh, the prison system, against guards, against a number of. Uh, uh, of different venues and things. Uh, so uh, this week, I think is probably what we're, we're very fortunate to have you on. And, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Mr. Absolutely. Maxwell. Um, because we reported today, matter of fact, this is Thursday, we record on Thursdays. Uh, and we reported today in Alabama political reporter about the death, deaths of I believe four folks at, at at one facility, two at another, two at another uh, in a single day. So there were eight deaths in a single day. And this is a routine problem for our Department of Corrections, uh, along with the claims of abuse that were so shocking that the Trump DOJ came in. Uh, and, and filed suit against the state of Alabama and the way that it was treating its, its incarcerated people. Uh, I, I guess in doing this kind of work, obviously there's no shortage of clients, but is it worse now than you've ever seen?
0: Yeah, uh,
4: thanks for having me on. I got involved with this work uh, immediately after law school uh, about a decade ago and started working with the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, out of Montgomery, Alabama with Brian Stevenson. And so uh, from day one for me, uh, we've been working with incarcerated individuals uh, and dealing with all the different concerns that they go through. So we get to see it firsthand, specifically here in the Alabama uh, uh, penal system. And so right now I'd say it's it's worse than I've ever seen. Um, Obviously the DOJ got involved. Uh, File lawsuit basically because conditions here in Alabama, the prison conditions are constitutional, unconstitutional amount of uh, abuse, assaults on inmates, violence, sexual violence, drugs, uh, lack of institutional control, lack of guards, uh, facilities literally falling uh, apart uh, as we speak uh, on top of these inmates. And so uh, it's bad right now, and it was bad when the DAOJ filed a lawsuit, but it's gotten even worse. And so, uh, as you alluded to, this is probably, at least since I've uh, been in Al- practicing in Alabama, probably the deadliest year uh, that we've had so far in Alabama. Uh, the deaths are just piling up. Um, guards themselves are even quitting at uh, crazy rates right now because they don't want anything to do with it. Uh, there's just absolutely no institutional control. Uh, drugs are rampant, uh, and the abuse of these inmates, uh, the unconstitutional, inhumane, unconscionable abuse of these inmates, uh, it's happening at alarming rates right now. And so, yeah, the, the deaths are spiraling. Uh, everyone's taking notice. And even uh, the inmates themselves are tar- starting to take action. And as we speak, they are on labor strike.
2: It's, um, it is remarkably depressing. Uh, i 've said before for a number <clears throat> of of reporters who i 've worked with who who cover this basically beat of of the deaths of the violence of of just the awfulness of our prison system i don't know how they do it and i and I honest to god i have no idea how you attorneys do it i, I don't i don't know i don't know how in the world you go in and talk to these people and form relationships with them and watch the suffering that goes on with them every day i have, I have the utmost respect for which i'll do and it's just amazing uh to that that there are still people committed to that uh to that line of work and to those folks and I, and i you know it, it is a uh, a calling, I'm assuming, but it's still my God. It's every single day, and and I'll tell you what troubles me more than anything else about this is the cavalier attitude of our state officials and our prison officials about this, and and their insistence that this is this level of violence and this level of uh, of suffering is somehow related to uh to public safety they say it all the time this is a public safety issue and we're going to stand for public safety first and foremost and you watch what's happening here and how in the world anybody could call this public safety is beyond me i i just what yeah. i know you deal with these folks on a daily basis what is it the, what are the attitudes when you talk to them what are the attitudes that you get back from the people in charge of these prisons
4: yeah so we're we're in contact with them every day um and uh, as she alluded to earlier they're uh actually they're just not they're actually not enough of us lawyers uh that are involved with it um you know this past year uh the graduating class of the local law school in uh, birmingham uh, Cumberland law School out of uh, sanford uh in the top thirty percent of their class, there was only one individual. Uh, that went into work with civil rights and post-conviction. And we hired her, uh, only one. And so it's just not enough lawyers, especially skilled, talented lawyers, uh, to get involved with this. And so for us, uh, the complaints, the issues from families, from inmates, uh, are just numerous. It it, it never ends. It's um, uh, You have to, as attorneys involved with it, some days you just have to step away, put your phone down, put your computer down and take a breath because it's endless. Uh, if we wanted to, uh, there would be an individual that we could talk to every single second of the day who's suffering through some sort of inhumane treatment, who hasn't gotten their medication, uh, uh, who uh, received surgeries, told doctors told them they have to do X, Y, and Z, and the, the prison is completely refused to abide by uh, hospital uh, recommendations and orders. Uh, starving inmates right now, as we're again, as we we're talking, uh there's a labor strike going on, and so, in retaliation, uh they've decided to starve these men uh cut them down to the rations of two meals a day, oftentimes they'll get uh two pieces of bread and applesauce, something along those lines uh for breakfast and for dinner uh uh just but that's par for the course and so you know, there there are a lot of things that we're doing trying to, to combat that, uh, trying to be in touch with ADOC legal, the commissioners, the folks at the top, uh and they just don't seem to get it. Uh and realistically, uh in the state of Alabama financially, they haven't been forced to get it. Uh we haven't filed as many lawsuits as we need to. We haven't forced them into litigation because we know ultimately where the money goes is where their interest goes. And so at this point uh they haven't really suffered anything to to force them to change uh and they're not changing and and so we like to said we live with it every day it's getting worse and worse the numbers mm. are, are 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 skyrocketing for just the abuse uh and All the right. stories that we get so
3: um so Le- so leroy uh, this is from what you're saying this is not about a lack of resources this is uh, about a systemic Uh, collective sort of systemic uh, failure to care and to apply good strategies and resources. In other words, it sounds as though from what you just said, you believe this is fixable, but you think that the, the powers that be from the, I'm assuming from the governor on down, just don't have the desire, the will, the interest to fix it.
4: I think that's right. Uh, And and look at their solutions. Uh, One of the solutions, because the DOJ came in uh, and said, hey, your prisons are failing. Um, uh, They're not meeting constitutional standards. Uh, They're on the verge of federal takeover. And the state's response uh, was to take money, take COVID money, uh, other money from general fund, uh, and to build more facilities um uh, instead of repairing the ones that are there, instead of creating program to prevent people to going into the facilities. Uh they're building more facilities. Uh, uh they're gonna have the same issues without fixing fixing sort of the, the the issues that got us there in the first place. Uh one, uh the the idea that we're gonna increase the inmate population is just absolutely insane. Uh, And you can see that from what they're doing with the parole board right now, barely paroling anyone. The numbers have have dropped. They're they're at the lowest I've ever seen as far as parole. uh, The numbers of incarceration are continuing to grow. Uh, The number of drug uh, convictions are continuing to grow here in the state of Alabama. There is no realistic plan that's in place to lower the prison population, lower the problems that are, are being suffered in prison. The only solution has been, well, let's build more prisons, uh, which are so going to have the much, same
3: same issues. Right. So how much then? I got to ask you, how much do you think the 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 reality of the private prison enterprise here in this state has to do with this?
0: Well, in
4: the state of Alabama, uh, the private prison industry is not probably the, the the greatest of concerns because most of our facilities are state run. Obviously, they have state contracts within the facilities uh, to different contractors, medical providers, other things uh, where they pay an exorbitant amount of money to outsource things and throw monies at problems that uh, the state should be looking to fix itself. Um, uh, but here in this state, most of our facilities are, are over ninety percent of them are gonna be state run. Uh and so, you know, the, the issues that we face have to do completely with sort of our attitude of the legislatures and the and the governor when it comes to how we view inmates, individuals, and our sort of uh uh um, uh awful approach of law and order when it comes to uh, uh, a degree of punishment where it's more about punitive. It's no longer about correction or rehabilitation. Uh, it's just about how can we house as many individuals in as many prisons as we can uh, in different counties um, for uh, different legislatures or uh, want obviously prisons in their counties because of the revenue that it produces. Uh, because of the the folks that uh, the job opportunities it produces. Uh, so the focus thus far has been appease as many legislators as possible and build as many prisons in their counties.
3: Well, that's well, that's really what I was getting to. It, I, I, even if private prisons aren't playing the role that that they uh, at least according to what I'd been reading and reporting once did. Um, the reality is there is an economic incentive to incarcerate people in our state, and, and I think that's what you were just talking about, right? Right,
4: exactly. Um, um, Alabama, the Department of Correction, receives federal dollars um, uh, for housing these inmates. You basically look at it this way. If, uh, if you just put in throwing numbers out there, if uh, the federal's uh, feds, give you $20 per an inmate uh, that you might uh, uh, have there. And so the goal of Department of Correction is to make sure they only spend about $5 a day on each one of those inmates so they can make money off of it. Uh, the license plates that you see here in the state of Alabama are all produced by inmates uh, in Holman, uh, uh, this, uh, in Atmore, Alabama. Uh, there are facilities there that are just, you know, produce tags and other things that the state uses. Um, the um, use inmates for labor, for cleanup, for other things of that nature. Um, but the, the biggest thing is the, the federal uh, funding and funding that you get for housing each inmate. And so uh, the goal is to make sure you spend as little on the inmates. Uh, you spend 30 cents on a meal, 50 cents on a meal, uh, because you know that each one that you have there, the more you have, the more profit you're going to get by spending less on the inmate and receiving more from the government.
2: Where, where are we with the DOJ lawsuit? Um, Because, I mean, you've mentioned, and I mean, it's fairly obvious that in the course of this, as they're threatening to take over our prisons, our prisons have become worse. Uh, They have not met the staffing goals. They've not met the medical goals. uh, They've not met the violence goals. You know, they've they've not uh, decreased the population to any significant extent. So, what? Where are we with this with this lawsuit? And what, what what are we waiting on before we get taken over by the federal government?
4: Right. So uh, essentially, there there was uh, basically uh, and effectively sort of a stay with the lawsuit to give Alabama an opportunity to meet some of these goals um, that they um, that the DOJ cited them for failing um, to properly have in place. And uh, as you mentioned, they've basically failed. At meeting, or at least at this point, have failed at meeting every single one of of those conditions. That uh, failed. The, They've gone the other direction in almost all, right, every case. Exactly, exactly. And so, right now, at least from what we're hearing on the ground, uh, the DOJ investigators, uh, internal affairs, right now, they're collecting data, they are interviewing inmates, uh, and at some point, uh, plan on filing a report uh, stating just that uh, that Alabama has completely failed uh, there as Alabama once more time of course part of their their fix is to build uh, new prisons um, and, uh, and you know you all could talk at days for the, how they're funding that and where the money's coming from to build those new prisons uh, but that was part of their fix and so that's not a fix that's going to happen anytime soon In the meanwhile, uh, individuals are suffering at uh, enormous rates uh, because of Alabama's failings, And so uh, I think you, like a lot of us, like a lot of lawyers, like a lot of people who are incarcerated in Alabama, we're waiting, hoping and praying that uh, the DOJ finally steps up and steps in right now and says, like, listen, you're trending the other direction. Uh, This is not going to work. There needs to be immediate federal action. Uh, and so uh, right now, we just know that they're interviewing. We do know that they're speaking with inmates, uh, with guards as well, who are willing to come forward and correctional officers who are willing to talk to the Department of Justice. We know that they're laying a the map and a groundwork. We're just waiting for them
2: back. Oh, yeah, it's uh, you know, the, even their fix, even their, their solution that they're presenting out here it's it's gonna house it, it, it's houses fewer prisoners. I mean it, it, it doesn't it nothing makes sense. It but it, if if the average person out here listening to this wants to do something to help, to 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 insult to to some way Uh, ease suffering or you know help to to bring an end to to the the overwhelming problems that are out there or to just get people to move and and do something to do their jobs. Well you are involved in this every day. What do you think would be the most effective thing for for just the average person to do?
4: Yeah, for the the average person to do and, and, and it's tough because again Alabama is we are we've been so accustomed to accepting uh the uh just the the bottom uh worst uh that a state can offer when it comes to corrections. We've become so used to it um, and we're just now starting to wake up to see what's really going on here. Uh something that's recently happened uh that uh regular uh, folks could do that I didn't even think would necessarily work uh but has worked uh has actually been flooding uh the, the phones for the prisons. Uh, and for um, uh, the folks at the Department of Corrections. Uh, it is actually working. Uh, when we speak with ADOC legal, when we speak with wardens, when we're scheduling our prison visits, our uh, drafting or sending uh, complaints about uh, failure uh, to meet medical conditions or deliberate indifference, um, we're often hearing uh, that Yeah, we're being flooded by phone calls and we're having to take action. People are starting to share posts, people are putting highlights on this. We have individuals who haven't seen doctors in years, all of a sudden, because individuals start calling the nursing board, the medical board here in the state of Alabama, reporting what's going on in these prisons, all of a sudden we have clients that are being seen and treated by uh, uh, medical providers. Uh, just because there was a flooding of the phone calls that got folks and got their attention. Uh, And so I think just the awareness sharing posts and continuing the conversation has been something that Alabama just hasn't been used to at all. And so uh, anytime you can get on the phone, especially if it's a medical situation, call the nursing board, call the medical board, call the commissioner's office, office, if it's a, uh, if it's a uh, facility condition, we're in the process right now of filing some ADA claims. That's American Disability Act, because there are inmates in these facilities who are wheelchair bound, uh, who have to crawl on the floors in the bathrooms to be able to get the stalls. There's no accessibility for showers. It's just it's absolutely disgusting. Um, uh, but uh, the attention is starting to be brought. Phones, for better or for worse, are in facilities. We're able to see these videos, uh, and now people uh, and lawyers like myself are starting to get involved uh, for bet
2: for the better. Well, and I, and that's I would encourage everybody to do that. Then, um, yeah. And um and I'll do that as well. Um and I you know uh, listen, I'm going to say again before we before we have to let you go. I it's uh we really appreciate what you do. Uh, it, it cannot be easy. Uh, I know, I know there's got to be nightmare inducing uh, and, you know, and, and I chuckle not because it's funny, but because I just can't imagine it, uh, you know, and it, it's so, so thank you for spending some time with us and trying to shed some light on this uh, and, and, and to let people know kind of what actually is ha- taking place in these uh, prisons and, uh, and thank you for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Thank you
4: all uh, for having uh, me on. And I just want to say that, Uh, I think it's important for everyone to understand sort of why we're in this position. This isn't something that happened overnight. Uh, This is just as much as as it's an Alabama problem. It's an America problem as well. You know, and when slavery ended, we had 30, 40 million individuals in this country, black folks in this country, the country didn't know what to do. Uh, The United States wasn't always this way when it came to punishment. It looked a whole lot like a lot of other white Western nations, uh, where uh, the the concept of sentencing someone to die in prison for a drug charge or for an unintentional homicide was just unconscionable. It's something that never happened. But all of a sudden we had all these people and the the country had to figure out what to do with them. And that's when they started being harsh on crime. Mm. And then you saw it through the black codes, through Jim Crow, through the Ooh. war on drugs, through uh, super predators and children uh, where they targeted certain areas and neighborhoods and our prison population blew up and it started filling up with folks who, for the most part, uh, legislatures and, and voters just don't care about black people. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened. And so they got away with so long, for treating this population so poorly. Uh, and so this isn't an overnight problem. Uh, and understand that race has a big component to do with it. If the court system, if the DAs, if the federal uh, feds wanted to go in there and bust drugs, they could go into Alabama, Auburn, any Ole Miss, any college, any dorm, and they could be much more successful than they would uh, in neighborhoods and Black communities. Uh, but they choose uh, to go into certain areas, uh, and we turn a blind eye to them, and they are now suffering in this uh, systemic system that we're in and so uh we just need people to understand why we're in this situation to help fight it
3: thanks thank you very much uh for that leroy i think that historical context is important and i also want to say i would be remiss josh if i did not give a big thank you shout out to my very good friend and uh business partner and very good friend natalie uh tibbs who uh connected us uh to uh leroy and uh she runs a uh a ministry called uh, United Prison Ministries International that is also in these prisons uh dealing with uh, and has been for decades trying to uh increase the quality of life and opportunities for prisoners so A big shout-out to Natalie on that.
2: Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And, and again, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Maxwell. It's Leroy Maxwell. And uh, it's – honestly, I I don't know how they do what they do, but uh, Mm -hmm. I just appreciate the fact that they do it. Um, I really do. And and I know a lot of other people out there do as well. So, all right, let's – Let's slide out of here. We come back, uh, we're going to get Kyle Whitmire from AL.com on to to talk about uh, fake uh, voting IDs uh, for a little while. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it's uh, one thing after another around here. Alabama Politics This Week, back in a minute. Hey, everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to APWProducer at gmail.com. That's APWProducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or I mean, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, you know, and, and normally at uh, this particular portion of the show, we would come back. We would wrap up whatever was said by the guest uh, in the previous segment. Then we would talk for a second, give you a right wing nut, and then we would jabber about the right wing nut for a little while. Today, we're going to be a little different. Uh, so what we're going right. to do is we're going to tell you that the right wing nut is John Wall, who is the chairman of the mm-hmm. Republican Party. Um and instead of us jabbering about it, we're going to jabber, but we're going to jabber with Kyle Whitmire from AL.com, uh, who has uh, mm-hmm. written about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's really uh, – Kyle, first of all, thanks for coming back on again uh, with us. It's, yeah, it's anytime. always a pleasure. Um, so let me, I guess, boil down just real quickly where we are uh, with, <laughs> with John Wall, <laughs> who's leading the party yep. who, that introduced the voting ID requirements in the state of Alabama. Uh this gentleman who is very mysterious uh from Athens limestone county area is chairman of the Republican Party and he is uh, holds religious beliefs that frown upon I guess is a polite way to put it frown upon having your picture taken and pl- taken and placed on a government ID. And As such, he has created his own ID for use of voting that we have now determined is improper, according to the Secretary of State, who is in charge of such things. And he has attempted to use this ID a couple of different times that we know about. And so what the hell
5: is going on? (laughs) Well, let me let me work through some of the nuances of it. So I, I came upon this story earlier this summer uh, when someone sent me, or several someone sent me this Facebook post by this Limestone County former Limestone County poll worker a guy named Clyde Martin saying, you know, have you have you seen what this guy is saying? And you know, Martin posted on his Facebook page that you know there's there there's a whole fa- family of folks up here. Uh, who don't like to vote with photo ID. And you know who one of them is because he's the chairman of the Alabama Republican Party. Well, that got my attention. And, you know, I, I hunted Mr. Martin down. Uh, you know, it took me a couple of days to find a, a good number. It used to be that we had phone books that were great. Now you got to find someone's cell phone number and it's hard. <laughs> uh, but I got him the phone. You know, the first thing out of his mouth is, he says, I'm a Republican. Said, okay, you know, I've I've met a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know, doesn't tell me about his family life, his his work history, any of that. It's like, I'm a Republican, first thing out of his mouth. But then he, you know, he walks me through how you know they've had trouble, persistent trouble at the polls in Limestone County with this particular family. I don't know that Wall, that John Wall himself uh believes that. As his brother testified, it turns out in a in a deposition in the, in a voting rights case, uh, I don't know that he believes that voter ID is the mark of the beast, but there are certainly members of his family who believe that what they call biometric identification, which is basically any sort of measurement of life, um, including using you know your picture for facial ID, is you know, the mark of the beast foretold in Revelation, and so they have a problem with it, so they don't do it. And they don't do a lot of things, including, like, having Social Security numbers. Um, And, you know, this has made voting a problem for them since this voter ID law uh, was enacted. Now, I certainly have very different religious beliefs than some of the Wall family members, but that's, you know, that's up to them. I don't begrudge them for that i don't think it's especially weird i think they're weird things in all sorts of religions that are that are bona fide, you know religions that you know I, you know no one really questions um but what is you know the sort of the animating irony of this piece is that you know out of this something that would have been if i had come up with a hypothetical such as this family when this law was going through the process, going through the legislature, the proponents of the, of the voter ID law was said, was said, Kyle, quit being stupid. You know, th- nothing like that's going to happen. But not only did something like this happen, but then a member of this family rises through the ranks very quickly. This man voted, for, as far as I can tell, the first time 10 years ago to become chairman of the Alabama Republican Party. Uh, you know, John Wall is a very personable person. He, I, I don't, I don't think that he is um, malicious or anything. But I mean, there's definite. But he has at times spoken out in favor of this law, which has disenfranchised his family. Now he puts the blame on poll workers, and specifically on this guy who first spoke out publicly about this, Clyde Martin. But in in my my investigation, what I found, and and it really it kind of burned me up a little bit because after the first story published, someone said, "Well, you know, all this is sitting in a court file over here, right?" I went, "Oh God!" <laughs> I just like deciphered all the high, hieroglyphics in the in the pyramids, and now you're telling me there's a Rosetta Stone. Yeah, um, but this in, in, in this deposition,
0: <laughs>
5: you know, his brother talks about how they've had these problems going back to the very first year. That this law, uh, that this this law went into effect in 2014, it wasn't just Clyde Martin, it was poll workers, you know, eight years ago that were telling them like, no, you can't vote like this. And what they have tried to do is there is a there is an exception in the law that says poll workers, if they know you, and if they can positively identify you as the person on their rolls. Uh, without a voter ID, they can sign two of it, takes two of them, can sign an affidavit that will let you vote. And since then, what has been happening is that some of these family members have come in, and these poll workers have felt pressured, not just by them, but by other election officials, to sign these affidavits when this is a really big family. like There are at least eight members of this family who are registered to vote at this one polling place, I've seen some other pictures of them. I've talked to people who know them. They're very clear, I will to say clear family uh, resemblances. Some of them just look the same, okay? And you know what I asked these poll workers was, if you had to pick them out of a lineup, could you say which one was which? They said no. And in fact, in his deposition, John's brother, Joshua, I think it's Zeres is what he goes by. That's his middle name, Wall. You know, is asked, like, who are the poll workers that you've dealt with? He he could remember one by name, but he couldn't remember the full name of another one. So there's a little bit of a don't you know who I am element of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that they're expecting these poll workers to know who each and every one of them are by name. But here he was. He couldn't remember their names. Um, there should be should be some reciprocity there. Um but the the other peculiar thing that popped up in this is that these poll workers kept telling me about this ID that John Wall had used that they had never seen anything like this before, and they believed it to be some sort of uh, and uh, uh, a press badge or a state employee ID badge. It had a state seal on it. It said that he was a media representative, and I managed to get a copy of it because he had. Texted a picture of it to the probate judge during one of his disputes. Um, and I, so I get this this picture, and I, you know, i have been talking to the finance department, which issues state employee IDs at the Capitol, and these things don't look anything like each other. Like a real state employee ID badge does not look like this. Mm-hmm. has a barcode on it. State employee ID badges don't have barcodes. Um it has the picture in the wrong place. The seal's not the right size. There's all this stuff that's that's wrong. And so I kept, you know, It and it says it comes from the state auditor's office. Now, I originally reached out to uh, Jim Ziegler. I, I got him on the phone, took some trouble. I actually went to his office, knocked on the door, and there wasn't anybody there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally got him on the phone, and I, you know, told him what was going on, and he kind of hemmed and hawed and said, well, I vaguely recall that I was um, I was doing one of my many investigations and
0: looking for Wanda's desk. Still looking for Wanda's
5: desk. I need to help with one of those. And later, he changed his story. He sent me a written statement later saying that no, I mean, and this was after he had spoken with with Wall. I know that. Um that he 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 was setting up some uh like an email blast system like with a third party and needed some form of id uh to authenticate that he he was you know a legit representative of the state auditors office um okay well i'm glad your memory got better but uh, i called wall and i said okay uh-huh. let's just <laughs> cut to the main question who made this at first, he told me he did not make it. Uh, then in a subsequent conversation, I said, I'm going to ask you again. Who made this? Like, who was the person? How did they do it? What was the machine used? And at that point, he says, we made it. Like, we, like meaning you and Jim Ziegler, he said yes. Or he said, yeah. And says that they made it on a third party printer, which Mm. I didn't quite, I never nailed down what that means. I don't know if that means they went to Kinko's or I guess it's the FedEx store now or someplace like that. But they used, it was not something that they had there in the state auditor's office. And I called John Merrill, our secretary of state. I walked him through what I'd learned in this conversation. And I asked him, like, is this sufficient to vote? And he said, no, it is not a satisfactory ID or valid uh, ID, voter ID, under, and he cited the, the 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 code section from the Alabama law, which I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, according to our, our top election official now, this is not a valid ID that he used at the polls. Now, John Wall says that the first time he used this ID, he says he has a driver's license. I don't know. I don't have proof that's true or it's not true he says he has a driver's license the first time he said he used this id uh he left his wallet at home now you or i or anybody else if we leave our wallet at home when we go to the polls
2: guess what we gotta do
5: go back go home, home and again get it. a wallet.
2: No, yeah. no, 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 no. I would go and make up a, a a whole fake ID myself with Jim Ziegler. I would call Jim Ziegler and he and I would go to a third party printer and we would make up an ID. I don't know. Anybody would do that.
5: But he says he says he had this in his laptop bag and he used that that time because it was convenient to him. And look. I can see a scenario where, all right, maybe something like that happens and you just really don't want to go home. It's a long trip or something. Fine. But he went back this last election cycle and voted with it again. And I talked to him. I said, why did you, you know, we've asked him, why did you use this a second time? And he said that he, you know, he felt like they were being harassed or bullied and he wanted to make a point. But he didn't so, so by his own admission, there he really didn't have to vote with this thing the second time. Like he ostensibly had a, a you know, a, a regular, typical old driver's license in his pocket. He could have shown him that, and he didn't do that mm-hmm. because he wanted to. Show these poll workers who was born. No bald. way. There's no way he's <laughs> got a driver's license. There's no
2: chance he's got a driver's license. There's no way. I don't know.
5: I, you know, I believe that there's what we think, there's what we know, and what we can prove, and the first two don't matter. Right. Hmm. Um. I can prove that he voted with this, and when he, you know, buys on admission, he really didn't have to. Yeah. And let's, let's just take him at his word. At that point, he's really kind of bullying poll workers. And these poll workers, who he has been attacking throughout this story, as I've reported out, were well within reason to be suspicious of this ID, even after you know the, the probate judge looked at a picture of it and said, okay, you can vote with that. We now know this ID was not a sufficient form of photo ID for voting. So, I mean, it has been a long, strange trip, you know, and and once again, we're in one of these positions and, you know, not quite as nutty as what's going on over in Georgia with Herschel Walker. But where you have a Republican Party official who has done things that if the head of the Democratic Party had done it, there would be a grand jury investigation going on mm-hmm. right now if they weren't already in handcuffs. But you've got a lot of officials who are just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. And, and look, I've talked to a lot of Republicans, uh, Republicans on, you know, on background. They're furious about this. They're angry about it. But they all have crowd apathy because no one wants to be the first person to step out and do anything. But,
3: but, it. but the person that you have talked to directly, Kyle, who has the responsibility, perhaps more than anybody else in the state, to address this directly and conclusively has not done anything more than tell you that you're right, this isn't a valid voter ID? I mean, John Merrill hasn't taken any, I mean, this is right under his purview. He hasn't taken any direct action? Uh, If he has or hasn't,
5: I don't know. Uh, I have not spoken to him since last week. Um, I can tell you that the person who should take action on this
3: Hmm. If it is the
5: attorney general of Alabama.
3: But wouldn't it have to be referred? (laughs) Wouldn't John Merrill have to or refer to him or would somebody have to actually file a formal complaint with the attorney general?
5: I don't know the answer to that. Um, I I can tell you from. I am appreciative um, of of Merrill saying that, you know, giving a definitive answer on the on the on the record. about Whether or not it is a, a legitimate form of ID.
3: Yeah, I, I can, I can tell you that from side of his mouth, but he did not. But it seems like to me, having said that to you, that should then precipitate action. He might have to. Yeah,
0: I, I think I, we, I know that. That's what the the
2: typical line in this, because I know when I called him about some things that were happening uh, in Greene County with some. You know, gambling establishments over there. Uh, And I talked to Merrill about their filings uh, that they had uh, with the donations that were taking place to the sheriff. Um, He told me that what they did was investigate these allegations and that they had investigated what I had sent them. And then they had now got to the point where it was time to pass it along to the other authorities. And so one of the authorities that they had passed it along to was the attorney general's office. The other one was the IRS. But yeah, it it would seem as though now that he has identified this person as voting with an illegal or an improper identification, and seemingly stating in your uh, in your column or in your interviews with him, uh, seemingly stating that he did so knowing that this was a problem and this was an issue. And knowing that he had basically created this thing, um, that would seem to be an admission of some level of voter fraud. I'm going to let you take
5: it from there. I I just like, you know, I'm going to put the question to the AG's office of what they think of this. Um, That's my next step here. And look, I think this is my next column. Not to go back to it seems like we've been here before. But I, I looked on the Alabama Democratic Party's uh, Twitter account today to see if they've like maybe shared. I mean, I, I my feelings kind of hurt a little bit. I've got like Jeff Poor and other people saying this is a Democratic conspiracy right before the election to – to to do what? I don't know. Like you know, I mean to die tomorrow still win, right? What? Like nothing gonna happen there. But yeah. at the very least you would think that a that a functional uh opposition party in Alabama, if it if it were in a conspiracy with me, would at least like retweet my tweet.
2: Yeah. I well, tweet functional, I think, is the operative
5: word there. Uh that they you, have that it. I mean, used. one party may not have principles, but the other one doesn't have a, a pulse. Yeah. And, Like I don't like political parties, but if you're going to have one, you should at least have two. Exactly. Um, And uh, right now, the second one appears to be the Alabama Libertarian Party, uh, which has recruited more candidates for for office and will probably uh, do better at the polls come uh, November than the Alabama Democrats. So I, I just... It's very frustrating. You know, we live in a state where, you know, Bob Dylan said in New Jersey, everything's legal if you don't get caught. And I, I think that um, even if you get caught in Alabama, it's everything's legal if, if no one's going to, you know, make an mm-hmm. issue out of it and prosecute
2: you. Yeah. It, listen, if, if, you, if you could, just, just a piece of advice when you, when you approach the attorney general's office on this. Um, present all the facts of this, uh, and, and, note, you know, that it seems to be someone voting with an improper ID that they created themselves and then maybe lead them to believe that it was Hunter Biden that did. Uh, and I think maybe <laughs> you'll get a much different response, yeah. uh, than if you, uh, if you go the other way with it. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, listen, man, answer. it, yeah, this is, uh, it's a great story. It's, it really is it's a great been story. A journey.
5: It's been a journey. I, you know, I, I I know you've you probably have appreciation for this, but I like to tell my editors that I have three hour columns, three day columns and three week columns, depending on how much time I need to to work on. them. And this turned into a three month column. I thought it was going to be a three hour column. I saw this post. I thought I'm going to call John Wall. We're going to have a discussion and I'm going to bang out something for tomorrow morning. And it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And it. it I mean, there are avenues of this story that I still haven't really explored yet. And, you know, at some point, I, you know, I, I, I felt like General Kurtz in uh, Apocalypse Now, they're going to send Martin Sheen up the river to come get me and bring me home.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's It's a strange person. journey, man. It yeah, and,
5: I, and look, you know I, I I do take issue with some of the things that John Wallace said and other other media outlets because we have been over backwards to be fair to him. We held this story for uh, the first story for a week because he was on vacation. He, what he told me was he was going to the Arctic Circle uh, on vacation. And pleaded with me that we could, we hold the story so that, you know, we could, he would have an opportunity, because I was like, we got to the point where I'm like, okay, we're about to hit publish on this. This is your last chance to comment. And he, he you know, begged for us to hold the story. I said, you know, my, I went to my editor, so what do we do with this? Or I told him the story and my editor asked me, what do, we, what do I want to do? And I said, let's hold it and, you know, give him an opportunity to comment
0: and talk. Um, we've been fair to him, we've been more than fair to him, and um, you know, he's he, he's
5: trying to say that I'm you know being cruel to his family, and you know, this is just a democratic hit job. Um, he dug this hole
2: himself, mm-hmm. clearly, yeah. that's a uh, that's that's a hundred percent true, and uh, you know, it, uh, it. Yeah it's a it's a shame that they've put themselves in this uh in this position because of really a stupid political idea um, and it, and that's the voter ID law that we have and and, and refusing to take exceptions uh, for this uh, or, or allow exemptions within the law for uh, for for certain religious uh, aspects or just or hell, just leaving the law the way that it was because it was working fine beforehand. You know, we didn't have any fraud then uh, or not any fraud that we're now stamping out because of this voter ID law. So but it, it, you're right. It's it's something that they clearly have these beliefs. He wanted to do this. These things don't align. And now he's mad that somebody's pointing it out. And that's all that there is to it. Well, I don't you know, I think
5: John Wall's family. Should be able to vote like everybody else. And if they have a religious objection, a true religious objection, I'm not talking about the the type of folks who are like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I have a religious objection to vaccines now. Mm-hmm. uh but one that they've had a longstanding belief, and it it does appear that this is this is genuine on their part right um the law should not prevent them from voting uh, and uh, you know it's sad and it's it's really tragic that that's happened to them, but who do they have to blame? Yeah. yeah. and it seems that if John Wall understood that this was a problem as chairman of the Alabama Republican Party, he might have been able to do something about it. Instead, when that law was upheld in the 11th Circuit, the Republican Party put out a tweet
0: celebrating it, and John Wall hit retweet. And he has defended that law since. Yeah. And instead of
2: following the law that he retweeted and was apparently proud of, he created a fake ID. So, uh, you know. All right. We're going we're going to let you get out of here. Uh I uh-huh. really appreciate you doing this and and coming on and and kind of breaking this down for us uh again and uh we'll uh we'll we'll follow along and uh and send everybody we can your way uh to help them follow along uh, uh with this just craziness uh, again. All and, right, and, uh, I think, uh, uh,
3: and I think the next time we have Kyle on, we need to get his first hand account of uh his first ever U S Supreme court experience.
5: Oh yes. Uh, I I will. I I one thing about that is I was uh, in the press room at the, at the Supreme court on Tuesday and you know, you have visiting press and you know, everybody sort of is chit chatting while we're waiting and introducing themselves. And suddenly a head pops up and someone says, did you write that story about the guy with the ID? And I was like, Yes. Yes, I did. And then, like, everybody's like, oh, my God, that was a great story. And, like, everybody except apparently Nina Totenberg had read the story there. Mm. Suddenly I'm explaining to Nina Totenberg, this NPR reporter, whose voice I've heard a hundred times. Like the whole John Wall saga. But this is, like, the country is paying attention to this. This story is reached well outside of Alabama. Alabama is being seen here. Um, you know, just yeah, you know, it's it's not going to
2: go away. Yeah, and as usual, in a fantastic light. And, oh, it's uh, it's always the best, always the best. All righty, that's a uh, Kyle Whitmire. We appreciate it, man. uh yeah, man. We'll uh, we'll get you back on soon. Uh, you know, whenever you have time, we love to have it. We love to have the conversations. It's uh, always interesting, and always great.
1: That's and, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. You Y'all
2: check him out, al dot com, and just you know. Google up the opinions over there. It they're, they're they're always something special, um. And and John Wall is our right wing nut. So um, you know, I think um, I don't know what else we could add to this show, David. No, I, you I, know,
3: that's 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 a good show. There we do yeah, we've given
2: people stuff they should really pay for,
3: yeah.
2: and uh, the fact that you don't, it's really our gift to society. I think. <laughs>
3: um, and
2: so our work, uh, I think our work is done. So until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Thanks, David. Thanks, Josh.
3: There we go.